Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. So uh, this week, we celebrated one of our family members' birthday. And uh, as we, we, we had dinner together, we opened presents, had a great time, and then we we're all kind of sitting around. And I thought, hey, you know what? Um, this is awesome celebrating this birthday. Can you imagine 25 years from now, or celebrate the birthday again, what that's going to be like? So imagine 25 years from now, uh, yes, Matt, if you could, uh, 25 years from now, uh, celebrating. And, and, um, and so I said, what do you think the world will be like in 25 years? And so we just kind of had fun with that and kind of all shared our thoughts. You've probably thought about that before too, right? What's the world like in 25 years? I looked it up online and I found this article that talked about what the world would be like in 25 years. So here's some of the things that this article said about our world. First of all, it said this, nobody will drive cars. Now that was kind of interesting. They weren't saying you won't be in a car, they were saying you won't drive it. The car will handle everything on its own by that time. The next thing that the article said is that VR, does everybody know what VR is? Virtual reality, like you put those Oculus things on your head and you kind of go into this virtual world. It said that VR experiences will become our favorite pastime. That's interesting to think about, that, that we will spend this time like, hey, I want to go float in space, and so you'll float in space. You know, hey, I want to go and, and walk on Mars, and you'll walk on Mars, or hey, I, I want to be in the Star Wars virtual world, and so you'll go live there. And so VR is going to be a big part of our world. It also said that the traditional smartphone that you and I all have right now is going to be extinct, that it's going to be uh, rollable, Foldable, small and tiny, but then you open up quite large. Very interesting. It also said this, movie theaters will be extinct in 25 years. Now, that's kind of an interesting thought, right, when you think about that. Why? Well, one of the reasons is VR. VR will be so incredible, you wouldn't think of wasting your time going and looking, staring at a small little screen. Why would you do that when you're fully immersed in VR? So that was just interesting. And then it said this, AI, 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 everywhere. Artificial intelligence. It will be completely a part of our life. And then finally, one more thing that grabbed my attention is it said that climate, change, migra- excuse me, climate migration will affect huge portions of our population. Millions upon millions of people will be migrating to different areas, apparently, according, basically uh, based on the weather patterns in the world. So just pretty interesting. 25 years from now, what do you see? Uh, so I was thinking about that, and I had a couple ideas, and, and, and uh, maybe you would agree with these or, or not agree with them. One of them, I was thinking about 25 years from now, what's gonna, the NFL going to be like? And I was thinking, well, okay, 25 years from now, Dallas will won 10 more Super Bowls. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not going to happen, right? Right. But I was thinking about this. If you follow the NFL, you know, and you know it's just been getting softer and softer and softer. 25 years from now, the NFL, this is my opinion, the NFL will be flag football, right? I mean, that's all it's going to be, man. You're like, uh, no interest anymore. And then my, my other one, I think, 25 years from now, the Terminators will have taken over the world. <laughs> Everybody know Terminators, right? Some of you are like, I don't know what that is. Okay, sorry, I'm older than some of you. And, uh, and if you know what I'm talking about, uh, if you're young and you're getting ready to have a child or going to have a child in the near future, you might want to name him John Connor. Okay. <laughs> 
Now, we always have a mind towards the future, right? We're always saying, hey, what does the future hold? What's next for us? We're all making plans for the future. In fact, right now, we're planning for Thanksgiving, right? Hey, who's coming over? Or where are we going? Uh, who's going to be there? Uh, what's involved? Who's going to be there that I wish wasn't there? Who's going to be there that I wish was there? Right? So we're making plans. How am I going to get out of going there if they're there? So that's happening. Uh, Christmas is coming up also right around the corner, and we're thinking, making plans for that. My neighbor this week was putting out all his Christmas decorations outside. He put up all his light literally this weekend. So we're planning for the future and making those plans. What else? Summer vacation. Some of you already, you know where you're going, you know the dates, you have it all planned out and mapped out. Of course, we all, on some level, we think about retirement one day, right? Hey, I'm going to retire at 62 or 65 or 70, and this is where I'm going to live, and this is what I'm going to do. We make plans all the time. A lot of what you and I do today is focused on tomorrow. So here's the question. What does God's Word say to us? What does God's Word say to us about making plans, planning for today, and also making plans and planning for our future. That's where we're going to pick it up today in James chapter 4. James is this letter that's just, uh, he, he's super practical on all sorts of topics, and he talks about the subject of, of making decisions and planning for our future. So let's pick it up, James chapter 4, verse 13. And he says this, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city. We'll spend a year there, and we'll carry on business, and we'll make money. James then says, why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist. Everybody say mist. You're a mist that appears for just a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to be saying, if it's the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or do that. As it is, you're boasting and bragging about your decisions, about your planning for today and tomorrow. You boast and brag about that, and all such boasting is evil. Interesting. So you have this person who's an entrepreneur, right? They're a, they're a go-getter. There is detail in the business plan. They have it all planned out. When? It, when? It's today or tomorrow. Where? Well, it's going to be this city, but it might be that city. How long are we going to do it? Well, we're going to spend an entire year, and what are we going to do? We're carrying out our business. We're planning our business. And, and, how, and why are we doing this? Well, we want to make money. Everything is planned out. All the bases are covered. What's the problem with that? What, what's the big deal with that? Why is James referred to that as evil? Well, the problem is, is that their planning is without God. There's not a single mention of God in this entire business plan. This person knew what they wanted. They knew how to get there, but they didn't invite God into their planning. God, and if you notice, he's not even involved in their planning for an entire year. God's not part of it. Now, the Bible talks to you and I a lot about planning. Luke chapter 14 tells you, and I, Jesus says, hey, it's foolish for you to decide to build a house and not figure out how much it's going to cost you. You need to plan for that. You need to plan. The book of Proverbs tells you and I over and over and over and again that if you don't plan, the book of Proverbs calls you and I a fool. 
It says you're foolish for not planning. In other words, it's wise for you and I to plan. But James tells you and I, it's not good to plan. It's not good to live our life as though God's not even a part of our plans and our decisions. Now, why does God want to be part of your life? Why does God want to be a part of your daily decisions? Why does God want to be a part of your today and your tomorrow? Why does that matter? Well, I love what it says in Psalm 81. I think it paints a great picture for you and I of why why this matters to God. And I want you to know, Psalm 81, verse 10, God says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Man, I want you to imagine that imagery there. That's incredible. God is saying, Open yourself up as wide to me as you possibly can. And I want to come in, and I want to bless your life, and I want your mouth, I want you to be overflowing. You're not going to be able to contain all that I have for you. That's God's desire for every single one of us. And in the next verse, the psalmist says this, but my people, they wouldn't listen to me. Israel would not submit to me, and so... I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices or to live according to their own ideas. Man, this is a heavy verse. What is God actually saying to his people? God is telling you and I, hey, listen, if you want to make your own decisions, if you want to live your life apart from me or without me or without including me in your plans and your decision making for today and for tomorrow, you can go ahead and do that, but you're on your own. God says, I want to pour blessings into your life. I want to bless you. But if you want to to live your life apart from me, if you want to make decisions in your life apart from me, if you want to plan for your future and not include me in your plans, God says, go ahead. Go ahead and do that. But you need to know you're on your own. Not only are you on your own, you have to live with the consequences of the choices that you make. You have to live with the consequences. I was thinking about that, and, and the, the Peanuts uh, cartoon came to mind. And here you have Peppermint Patty and saying, Charlie Brown, hey, what's happened to this younger generation, Charlie Brown, sitting around pondering? And, and Charlie Brown says, man, it all started with the bicycle helmets. And now everybody gets a trophy. Kids don't know what it's like to feel the pain when they do something stupid. But stupid should hurt. Anybody have that as like one of your life mottos, right? Eric, like some of us, you're like, like, man, stupid should hurt. I've said that phrase many times. Man, you're going to make a decision, you're going to make a choice, and that's what, okay. Well, you're going to live with the consequences of it. And so God is telling us in this, I want to give you my best. But for that to occur, God says, invite me in. Open yourself up to me. Open your life and your plans and your future and your decision making. Open yourself wide to me. I will fill your life. I'm more than able to help you. I'm more than able. Or you can do it on your own and live with the consequences of your decisions. So I just ask you, are you including God in your plans? Do you include God when you make goals, when you set goals for your life, God is more than able than we are. Why wouldn't we have him be a part of our decisions and our decision makings for our present and for our future? So how do you invite him in? How do we do that? 
James says to us, instead of just making your plans on your own and you got the who, what, when, where, why all planned out, all apart from God, instead, James says, verse 15, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. James is simply saying, include God. Make him a part of your life. He's saying, include God in your daily decisions. Include God and his will into your decision-making. Follow God's will in everything that you do. Not my will, not my will or my decisions or my choices, but his will for my life and my decisions. And that then begs the question for you and I, how can I know God's will for my life? Maybe that's a question you've asked for before. How do I know God's will? How do I know who God wants me to marry, for example? How do I know which career I should choose? How do I know which house I should live in? How do I know where I should live? How do I know which college or university I should go to or which college or university I should send the kids to? How do I know if God wants me to keep this car? Or maybe it's time to get a new one. What does God want? What is his will in these decisions that I need to make for today, but also for tomorrow? Now, that question is something, the idea of God's will, we could, really, that would take an entire series to explore. What I want to do just really quickly in the context of the sermon is just give you a few principles to help you discern and know God's will so that you're including him in your decisions. You're including him in your daily life, your daily choices today, and including him in your decisions for tomorrow. So if you and I, if we want to know God's will for our life, the first principle is this, is that we would look. We would look. Everybody say look. Okay, I'm going to have you repeat this quite a bit, so just be ready to hang with me here. So let's say that again. Everybody say look. Look. So we're going to look. In other words, we start by asking, what is God's clearly revealed will? What does God already tell you and I in the Bible? We look to the Bible. Where has God spoke to us and said, hey, this, thus saith the Lord, or this is my will, or this is my commandment, or whatever the case may be. And as you look into the Bible, into the scriptures, you see God has spoken clearly on a lot of topics and subjects. Just on the big, broad level, you're like, okay, well, I can go to the Ten Commandments. God's will is clear in there. I can go to the New Testament. I can look at all the things Jesus said. Jesus gave us the great commandment, love God, love others. He gave us the great commission, right? Uh, Go make disciples uh, of all the nations. Uh, You look at his uh, Sermon on the Mount, right? And you see there, man, that's God's will is all throughout that. You jump over to Paul's letters, the Apostle Paul. Throughout his letters, he constantly uses the language, this is God's will for you. He makes that statement directly. It is God's will that you. It is God's will that you always, or whatever the case may be, you see it throughout. Paul say, it tells us constantly things like, hey, our love must be sincere. We, we want to hate what is evil. We want to cling to what is good. We want to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We want to honor others above ourselves. And so much more that's clearly revealed. As you and I look into Scripture we also see that there's many behaviors and actions and lifestyles and choices that are clearly outside of God's will. So you can see it in Scripture, his clearly revealed will, how he already spoke in the Bible. In fact, 1 Thessalonians, for example, says in 5.17, it says to pray continually 
for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And as you and I are praying continually, let me tell you what you don't have to pray about or pray for. You don't have to pray about anything that God has already spoken clearly about. So for example, you say, man, I'm having a really difficult time with this neighbor. Lord, I'm really debating, God, should I kill him or not kill him? Now, I did that to be super silly and exaggerated there, but to make the point. You don't have to pray about that. Why? Because God's already been clear of what the Bible says. He's already been clear about that topic. You don't have to pray, okay, God, you know what? God, I'm praying, God, should I commit adultery or not? You don't have to pray about that. Well, yeah, you know, my spouse and I'm meeting my need. You don't have to pray about it. God's already been clear about the topic. Should I date or marry a non-Christian? You don't have to pray about that. God's already been clear in his word what he says about that. The first thing for you and I to know, and say, if we're going to know what God's will is, is we're going to what? What are we going to do? We're going to look. Where is he clearly spoken? That's where we start. We look for ways in which God has already spoken to us to help us with our decisions today and towards the future. Next, not only do we want to look, secondly, how do we know God's word for our life? We want to apply. Everybody say apply. So the first one is? Second one is? We look first. Where has he been clear? Then we apply. In other words, in the areas of Scripture we look through and we don't have a clear, thus saith the Lord, then we want to take the principles of God's truth and apply them. We don't have a thus saith, so now we got to dig a little deeper towards the principles of God's Word. So let's say you're just trying to decide to do something with a house. Should I buy this house or should I buy that house? Should I rent this house or apartment or should I rent this house or apartment? What is God's will for me in this situation? You can start by looking and you can dig through scripture and you can look, hey, is there anything in here? But I can tell you this, there's nothing in the Bible that says it is God's will that you buy this house. Okay, that's not, you're not going to find that. That's not there. So now you want to figure out, hey, let me apply the principles of God's truth. Are there any truths, are there any principles in Scripture that are going to guide me into my decisions? So, in the case of buying a house or renting a house, for example, what's a principle we could apply? How about the principle of being a good steward? The principle of stewardship. That could apply, certainly. Okay, I'm, I'm looking at buying this house, and it's going to cost me this month, uh, this much every month to live, and oh my goodness, is that going to make me, the scripture talks about being a slave to the lender, and man, am I going to be a total slave and upside down, and that's too risky, or you apply that principle, or maybe we say, okay, man, in order to buy this house, man, I got to make some changes, and change some things, and drop some things, and, and you know what, well, I, you know, I do give, I do tie to, to God, to his local church, I can stop doing that, and maybe then I can get in the house, right? You know, okay, you apply the principles, that's not a good route, that's not being a good steward of what God's entrusted to your care. So you apply the principles of stewardship. You can also apply the principles of influence. For example, in Matthew chapter 5, what does Jesus say to you and I? He says, you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And so you and I can apply the principles of salt and light, that, that we would maximize our influence or maximize our what God's given us to be an influence on our, those people in our life. And, and, and is this decision going to help me be better salt or better light 
so I can share the gospel, so I can reach out, so I can be salt, so I can be light? Or is this decision going to hinder me from being salt and being light? We can apply the principle of influence. You know what other principle you can apply? The principle of freedom. And we find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and elsewhere. You and I, the scripture says that we are free in Christ. It is for freedom that God has set us free. We are free indeed, it tells us in Galatians. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the apostle Paul also says, don't use your freedom in Christ as free reign to indulge in any and every desire. He said, that's not God's will for you. The apostle Paul is clear that we want to make our decisions about what we do and what we don't do today and for tomorrow through the lens of Hey, is this really, truly beneficial, or is it not beneficial? Will I end up being mastered by this or not mastered by this? Will it it be constructive or not constructive? Or do I just want to wave around my freedom to do whatever my heart desires? This principle calls us to look beyond ourselves and to make our decisions that are primarily characterized by our love towards God and our love towards others. And so we look. Where is God clear in his scripture? Secondly, we apply. We apply biblical principles where we don't have a thus saith the Lord. Then third, if we want to apply know God's will for our life, third, we submit. Everybody say submit. We submit ourselves and our decisions to the Lord. In other words, when I'm making a decision, I say, God, my palms are up to you. What does that mean when you say that? It's saying, I'm in your hands. Lord, guide me. Lord, direct me. Lord, lead me. God, if you want me to go through this door, then open this door. God, if you want to close this door, then close this door. I acknowledge you, God, that you are more than able to guide me and lead me and direct me. So I come before you humbly, palms up. I submit, God, to you and your leading and your guiding in my life. That's what he calls us to. The Apostle Paul, he took a posture of palms up towards God. He allowed God to lead him and to guide him in his future. You see that in Acts chapter 16. Starting in verse 6, it tells us Paul and his companions... (laughs) traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word of God in the province of Asia. In verse 7, it says, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of God would not allow them. So they were kept by the Spirit uh, from going to one place. They were not allowed to go to another place. Verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding, or having been convinced that God had called them to preach the gospel to the Macedonians. Because Paul was palms up, open-handed, because he had submitted his decision-making for his present and his future, because he did that, he knew God was saying, I don't want you to go here. I'm closing this door. He was able to discern or to conclude that God didn't want him to go here. God wanted him to actually go here to the Macedonians, where modern-day Greece. That he, he didn't say to God, hey, God, I know I, I want to go to Bithynia. I want to go to Galatia. So I know you're trying to keep me from there, God, but too bad. I'm going there anyway. That's not what he did. Yeah, I said, no, no, I can see God doesn't want me to go there. Instead, I can tell God wants me to go here. He waited 
on the Lord. If you and I can approach our decision-making for today and for tomorrow with these principles in mind, if we will, let's see if we can remember them. Number one, if we will what? If we will, say it again. If we remember the second one starts with an A. Apply. And then third, what do we do, palms up? We submit. We look. Where's God clear? He's already spoken. That's easy. If he's not clear, we apply the principles of Scripture, the principles of truth in Scripture. And then our palms are up. God, I submit to you. And if you and I can do that, we're going to be right where God wants us to be. We will be right in the center of his will. Now, let me just say this. Following God's will, it really has more to do with who we are becoming and how we live than it is so much the specific decision. I mean, if you have to kind of boil it down, God's more interested in who we're becoming and how we're living more than anything else. Uh, Maybe to illustrate this, uh, God's our heavenly father. We know that. Some of you are parents. And if you have kids and you think about your kids and how you make decisions with your kids, I know for me, with my kids growing up and even as young adults or adults, I'm more concerned with who they're becoming and how they're living their life rather than just the specific decisions. You know, when they they will go to get a job or when they went to get a job, I I was far more concerned with who they were and who they were becoming. Are they going to be people who work hard? Are they going to be people who work with integrity? Are they going to be people who will be the salt and light of Jesus in their environment? That mattered more to me than specifically where they worked. Now, there was a season when my daughter, I wanted her to work at cookie jar so I could get free cookies. So in that season, um, that worked out really good. So thanks, Callie, for submitting to your father. (laughs) No. It didn't play out that way, but it was a nice bonus. <laughs> I care what, who they are and who they're becoming. Uh, what about this? Maybe uh, uh, your teenager wants a specific car. They're like, Mom, Mom, Dad, you know, this is the car I want, and, and you'll help me, and I'll save it up, and this is the car I want. And you're like, whoa, 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 that's great. I don't really care about the car as much as I care about how you drive the car, who you are, and who you're becoming. When your kids are of dating age or, or uh, the time where they can be married, what, is you, what are you as a parent most concerned about? You're most concerned about if they're going to date or marry someone who's a Christ follower. That matters more than anything else. And, and yeah, you're like, oh, this seems to be the one. And that matters. But what matters most is do they follow Christ? Are they marrying a Christian or a non-Christian? Then next, right below that, It's not even just that they're a Christian. You want them to be, like, in love with Jesus, right? That's what you want as a parent. You want that person to be in love with Jesus. You want that person serving Jesus with their life. Those are what matter. And then after that, you're like, okay, you know, I want to be a hard worker and have integrity and be polite and respectful and all those other things. But you start there, who they are and who they're becoming. Now, God cares about our decisions, but the bigger issue for God who we are, who we're becoming. Now, the reason that this topic of of decision-making, that this choices you make for today, the choices you make as you're thinking about your tomorrows, the reason that matters so much to James is he understands something that sometimes you and I forget. Sometimes we don't think about it unless we're in crisis mode. James understands that eternity is right around the corner. James wants you and I to view our life, our daily decision-making life. He wants to view the, us to view that in light of eternity. 
James says in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, why you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What's your life? You are a mist. Everybody say mist. Think about this. You're a mist. And what does that mean from the eternal perspective? It means you appear for a little while, but then you're gone. You vanish. You're just a mist. James says when it comes to knowing God's will and making decisions, it's really a mistake to presume upon tomorrow. You're just, your life is just a mist. Why is it a mistake to presume upon tomorrow? Because life is unpredictable. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. We don't, life's just uncertain. We don't know. There could, a war could start, for example, or, or a friend of yours that, that you've been, is so important in your life, they can move away, or the economy could get worse. You work in commission or sales, and, and you know, you're counting on something, but you don't know if that's going to be there later. Life is uncertain. It shouldn't cause us to worry. It shouldn't cause us to be afraid. What it ought to cause us to do is lean into God more, to trust God more, to recognize, oh, God is more than able. He's the one who can lead me and guide me and direct me. Life is unpredictable. Oh, man, I want to open myself up wide to God, Psalm 81. Why? Because I want God to fill me. He is able. He's the one I turn to. So let's not presume on tomorrow. Our life is a mist. It's unpredictable. So let's have that cause us to trust God more. Another reason you and I don't want to presume about tomorrow is because life is brief. Again, what is our life? It's a mist. It's brief. Here today, gone tomorrow. So James says, don't be short-sighted. Don't be short-sighted, but rather live your life today. Live with the decisions you're making today. Live with the decisions you're making, thinking about tomorrow. Live with that through the lens, through the view of eternity. Psalm 20, Proverbs 27 says, don't brag about tomorrow since you don't know what the day will bring. Look to God. Include God. View your decisions today in light of eternity. Ultimately, that you would take a posture that James talks about. In James chapter 4, verse 15, he said, so what should we do? How should we view life and view our decision making? Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, if it's the Lord's will, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or we will do that. I think that's something that's worth taking literally. This humble recognition that God is in charge of our life, that we're not in charge of our life or in control of our life as much as we think we are, that we take a posture of humble recognition that God's in charge, we aren't. If the Lord wills, that's an acknowledgement of who's in charge. The Apostle Paul understood that. He said in Acts chapter 18 uh, to, the, the, to the Ephesian Christians, believers, he said, if, he said, I will come back if it's God's will. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he said to the Corinthians, I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. Christians for centuries would say the Latin phrase, Deo Valente, Deo Valente. They would sign their letters. At the end of their letter, they'd put their name and they'd put D-V, Deo Valente. It simply means Lord willing, Lord willing. In other words, it's okay to plan, but in humility, we include God in our plans. We include God with our goal setting, Deo Valente. Deo Valente, Lord willing. My hope and my prayer 
is that we aren't people who are practical atheists. What's that? That's somebody, you say, I believe in God, but I don't include him in my life. I believe in God for my future, for my eternity, but he's not involved in my daily decisions or my daily choices or even my future on this, in this life. And we don't want to be practical atheists. Somebody who believes in God but doesn't include God in our life. So God invites every single one of us to make our plans, to make our decisions today, to make our decisions for today, for next week, for next month, for next year. Make those decisions, but make those decisions in light of eternity, not being practical atheists because we're going to say, okay, first and foremost, I'm going to look to God's word. What has he clearly told me? Thus saith, or don't do, or do, or don't do. And if he's not clear, I'm going to try to apply biblical principles into this decision. And as I do that, I just open my palms. I look up and I say, Lord willing, Deo Deo Valente, God, I submit to you, to your will, and to your way. Proverbs chapter 16 says, we humans, we make plans. But don't forget the Lord has the final word. So you can make your plans. This, palms up, submitting, is saying, I recognize God as the final word. Deo valente, Lord willing. Will you take that posture with your life, with your decisions, with your today, with your tomorrow? I would suggest you go there because he's more naval to handle anything that comes your way. Submit to him, trust him. Deo Deo valente, Lord willing. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.